Hi, everybody. Welcome to Busy Living Sober. This is episode 298. 298 episodes. I can't believe I'm two away from 300. It's kind of crazy. Today's topic is B. And um, we are sponsored today by Soberlink. As we all know, addiction is a serious issue that needs to be addressed. Nearly 15 million people in the U.S. have an alcohol use disorder, and that's alcohol only. And only 10% of those people ever get treated. Um, This can be attributed to the stigma that surrounds addiction and how people don't want to talk about it. Oh my gosh, we're going to go into that today. Soberlink strives to erase the stigma of alcohol addiction. Their remote alcohol monitoring tool has helped over 500... 500,000 people, that's half a million people, to be more accountable in their sobriety. Their voluntary system encourages connection, honesty, which helps to build trust in relationships. I've teamed up with Soberlink to create the resource guides tips for keeping busy living sober for those in recovery. And you can visit www.soberlink.com slash BLS for busy living sober and download the resource guide. And if you or someone you know can benefit from accountability for alcohol recovery, you can also find a form on the page to sign up for a $50 promo code. So $50 off your device. So go to soberlink.com slash BLS to get the, the guide and to get the $50 promo code. So I'm back. I'm back from my adventures out West and um, what fun I did have and what I learned on my adventures and what's going on in our world today. And um, it's really crazy to me. I'm just going to talk about this first because um, they talked about the stigma that's associated with addiction. And we know that the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi's son was son, Nancy Pelosi's husband, who's in his 80s, was arrested for a DUI. And um, I've read all different sorts of takes on it. And it's interesting because me being an alcoholic in recovery, I understand getting a DUI. I, 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 you know, I totally get it. I totally get being under the influence and thinking, oh my gosh, I can drive my car. I can get that feeling and thinking, I got this, I got this. And um, getting in your car and driving your car. And it's interesting because I kind of feel like, you know, I got sober 16 years ago, which is totally different, you know, than it is today. I mean, and it's not 16 years yet. I got a couple months to 16 years exactly, but um, almost 16 years. And back then there was no Uber. And um, I definitely wasn't a multi-multi-millionaire um, by any stretch of imagination. <laughs> so um, it just, the thing that pisses me off is that I understand it, but at the same time, I think it's totally irresponsible. And what makes me think that it's irresponsible is that your wife holds such a public, she's like on the news all the time, people talking about her all the time. And to be that irresponsible to get in your car and drive when you've even had that much to drink is just so boggling. And it just makes me mad. I'm like, why can't you just say, okay, I've got a problem. And now they're coming out and they're saying, I hope he gets help. And um, I do hope he gets help. But I'm sure when you're, I don't know what it's like to be a multimillionaire, no idea. But I would imagine that your ego would be pretty big. And you could think I'm bigger than everybody else. I'm above everybody else. My wife has this huge job. I can do whatever I want to do. But you put others at risk. And, you know, that's the selfishness of this disease is that I think I look back to when I did, because I did, I, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't drink a drive because I did, but um, 
when I think back to it, I feel like that's the most selfish thing I ever did because I think that driving a car when we have even, when we're even past the limit, it takes away our ability to our reflexes. So if a cat, dog, kid, parent, human, uh, animal walks in front of your vehicle while you are uh, even a little bit, you know, inebriated, you don't have the resources and the reflexes that you would if you were sober, right? So if you're sober, you're like, oh, I'm going to break. I'm not going to do that. But if you've had some drinks, you're kind of like, oh, look, there's a dog. Oh my gosh. Ah, and then you break. And thank God nothing happened. I don't think I actually read more into it. I just saw the headline and it was just disgusting me because I feel like you know, us as alcoholics, we have to get help. Right. And I understand, hopefully this will be the pinnacle, the, the catalyst that takes him to getting help. But, um, it's sad that people still, you know, drink and drive at this point. Right. I mean, people still drink and drive with Uber. I think I understand if you were, I, I, I really don't, I mean, there's places I just went in this country that are very rural, populations of 400 people. And I can see there where you don't, you're like, I can't get an Uber. I don't have an Uber. I don't have a cab. But when you're living in Napa, I know that there's Ubers all over the place. I know you can call for a car service. You could probably have with that amount of wealth, you could have a driver on staff that you just call and say, yo, dude, I'm going out. Um, But it's just, it bums me out that we're there. But I hope, my hope, is that we can talk about the fact that addiction is a disease and that this person obviously got his ego involved and got into his car, which I can totally relate to. So I have empathy for that, but I don't have empathy for the fact that he could totally have somebody on staff to be driving him around or calling Uber. There's no excuse there, but if he's an alcoholic, I totally get it. And I pray for him and I hope he gets help. Um, I have to tell you, I went So I was out West and I flew into Santa Fe and we drove from Santa Fe to Phoenix. We flew out of Phoenix. So we drove all over the West and we drove through um, some really small towns, as I just mentioned. And I met people along the way that had, um, that their family members had problems with addiction. And these people were young, they were working in a restaurant and um, someone had previously lived in a reserve on a reservation. And then his parents brought him out to the city, which was this again, small, teeny tiny city in the middle of, um, of New Mexico. It wasn't in the middle of New Mexico. It was actually on the Northwestern corner of New Mexico and, um, not far from the four corners and the four corners of Utah, Arizona, um, Colorado and Utah, Arizona, Colorado, New Mexico. And, um, so, he was like, we moved off the reservation because there's so much drug addiction and alcoholism on the reservation. And my mom didn't want me to live there anymore. And, um, I feel like, and then this other young girl who was a waitress that was at the same restaurant as that gentleman was like, Oh my gosh, my parents have battled addiction and I wish they could get help. And it's, um, it's so rampant today in our world is this alcohol and drug addiction and meth. There was meth, a lot of meth in the city too, what they said. And, um, They've also, I also just read that they are coming out, they're trying to come out with a shot, an actual, um, an immunization that you could get. So you're not a drug addict anymore. They're hoping that they can treat this with, um, with drugs, with a vaccine. And, um, I can see where our society as a whole has totally, um, we're in a bad way 
And um, it's sad. And I don't think a vaccine is going to work towards um, not doing drugs anymore and not drinking anymore. I don't think that that's going to work. I think it's a great idea. And in theory, it should work. And people would be totally, um, if people were totally willing to want it to change. But the reason we want to drink and do drugs is because we don't want to feel right. We don't want to feel, we don't want to feel what's going on in our lives. At least that's what it was for me. Feelings sucked. I felt insecure, less than, um, I wanted to fit in. I couldn't fit in. I, um, drugs and alcohol was, you know, introduced to me at 13. So, and when I drank for the first time, I was like, yay, I don't have to feel this is awesome. I don't give a shit about anything. I can do whatever I want to do. Um, no holds bar, right? No, sense of remorse, no sense of sadness during that time. I was not a person, I was a happy drunk, but I still, it was, I was drunk and I didn't have to feel anything. And, um, that was a huge gift for me. Right. It was like the, it was like, it's what got me through my, you know, times in my life that were really difficult. It was really a lifesaver. I think in a lot of ways, it's like I drank and I felt so much better, but in reality, at the end of the day, looking back to it, like I have, I don't want to wish my life. I can't wish it away. I just told that to a new friend. I said to her, I said, you can't wish, you can't um, wish things were different. I coulda, I woulda, I shoulda. I can't do any of that. It was what it was, but it did save me. I don't know how else I could have gotten away with it. I don't know if I found somebody that could have taken me under their wing and they could have helped me. But during that time, that was my only answer, right? Was drinking. So if you had given me a shot, I, how would I, how would I have gotten that sense of relief? How else do we get that sense of relief? There's so much sadness. There's so much homelessness, the shooting that happened last week. I mean, I have to tell you on the side of the shooter, imagine that kid, how, how messed up he must've been, how screwed up he must've been. Like he, it seems like obviously he was living with his grandparents. Where were his parents? Where were his parents? Where was when he, everybody knew that he was going to be like this. Everybody had said, you know, this is who this kid is going to end up being like that. They had said that, and he was going to go and do something like this and no one went to help him. It was all over, you know, police knew that he had been, you know, that he was someone that we needed to worry about and nobody did anything. Nobody did anything. And I understand what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? I feel like that myself. How can I fix so many people? Right. How can I help? I mean, doing this is my only way of doing is getting out there and saying stuff. And it's really interesting because a lot of times I'm like, why do I do this? Because it's just, why do I do it? Why do I do this? And I put myself out there, but I do, because I feel like at least if I talk about it, maybe something will change. I don't know what's going to change. I don't know. I don't know that doing certain laws or, you know, I I think that if there's a will, there's a way, right? If somebody wants to do something bad, they're going to do something bad. It's just, it doesn't matter what it is. I don't know if that person would have instead driven their car through the school. Who knows? But, um, you know, they wanted to hurt someone because hurt people hurt people. That's a reality. And, um, and hurt people hurt people. I know that when I'm hurting and I feel sad, I know I lash out at, let's say my husband. And I do that when I'm feeling sad, especially with these emotions with my oldest son, who's just not talking to me right now. And it makes me sad and it makes me angry and I'm hurt. I'm hurt, but he needs to do what he needs to do. But me personally, I'm hurt. 
So I then lash out and I hurt others, right? And I say things that I don't mean to say, but hurt people hurt people. And how do we fix that? And right now I feel like there's so many hurt people. I think there's so much like black and white and, and government that wants to take over everything. And it's like, I think this is all an inside job for all of us to come to terms with the fact that if we see something that is bad, we have to say something for the sake of others, maybe not liking that. I think that social media has taken away our filters as human beings to be respectful, loving, and caring towards others. I think that we, because we can get behind a screen and type words that are hurtful, that we can do that in real life. And I don't think that's actually appropriate. And I think that because there's so much hurt and sadness, we drink, right? Because I don't want to feel sad. Who wants to feel sad? Who does, who wants to, um, you know, who doesn't want to have a pity party when we're feeling bad? And what's the best way to get out of a pity party is to get drunk, right? And um, because no one seems to want to come to those pity parties. And it totally makes sense to me. And the mental health that's going on, I, I'm just going to tell you, you know, alcoholism is a mental disease. They put, and I'm just going to say that because I've said this many times, it falls under the umbrella of mental health when it comes to, um, when it comes to dealing with alcoholics and drug addicts, it goes on a mental health because it's our brain, right? It's our brain. So we get to this place where we feel, you know, people are feeling less than they can't afford things. And then we want the government to take care of it. It's just going to be a, it's just a catch 22. I'm praying. I did go see this one while I was out in California. She was, I mean, not in California. And I was in um, Arizona. I felt like California though. Um, I was in the desert and um, there were some psychics there. And I, I had this woman do this drawing and she said, um, she told me that she thinks in 2025 that we'll be in the time of Aquarius and life will be great. I don't know how much I believe all that stuff, but anything to be optimistic, I'm like game on. If they say in three years, in 2025, that life's going to be better, I'm like, bring it on, right? Bring it on. We all want a better time in a better place. And we all want to be able to be loving and kind towards each other. And we all want peace, right? Like that is something we all as human beings want is peace. We can say that, um, you know, times have gotten difficult and times have gotten harder, but we need to come together as a group, together as a loving, kind group. And um, that's where, you know, AA, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, is such a great thing because we all come together there. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic life is like. It doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter. None of that matters, but we come together and there's no money that, that, that gets involved with it. Right. So, um, and it doesn't matter if you believe in God, or if you don't believe in God, it's just, um, it's a place where fellow people that have dealt with alcoholism come together and in there, they come together in a way that they're, we can be relatable towards each other and we can speak honestly and with candor. And that's where I think we need to come together. Instead of getting, picking up that drink, we can talk to someone and say, this is how I'm feeling. And we all are going to go through times in our life that are harder than easier. And, you know, I was now, I drank till I was 37 and it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, I did things and I had things happen that I do regret, but I can't go back and change it. It's what it was, right? It was what it was. It got me to where I needed to go. Certain things happened that, you know, I think 
I think God had in store for us. I hope that this is not actually pausing like it just did in my computer. Um, you know, sometimes my internet's a little slacky, slacky. It looks like it is a little slacky, slacky, but I hope it's okay. Anyway, not to digress, but um, when we have this sense that we're different, it makes us sad. Change makes us sad. What's going on in the world where we have no power makes us sad. Um, I will tell you this. While I was on this road trip for um, seven days, I had no, um, I didn't watch any news. I didn't watch any TV. Um, We didn't even listen to the news. We listened to music and we sang the whole way across the country. It was so much fun. Um, And ignorance is bliss. So I didn't get all involved in what was going on in the world. And I was kind of happy about that. And, you know, kind of made me think of my childhood because when I was a kid, we didn't have 24 hour news sources, right? We didn't have constant things coming at us that's going on in the world. We didn't know what was going on. I mean, somebody had a party in your grade, at least in my grade. I didn't know till I went to school and heard about it on, you know, Monday morning and didn't really, it was like, oh, it already happened. Who cares? I wasn't invited. I didn't feel that bad about it. But I think photos on social media make us feel bad. I totally believe that social media is is literally the devil. It's like, I swear to God, it's like so dark. I understand there's good things about it. I like the fact that I can go there and find out about yoga classes and things that are going on in my community. I don't like seeing people, you know, I, I understand people use it for when people die or things are going on in their lives. But in some ways, it's like I was not going to take pictures along my trip and say, hey, look at me. Look at what I've got. Look at what I'm doing, because I just think it would make other people feel bad. And I don't want to make anybody feel bad. But um, I was just going to say something and I totally forgot it. But, oh, I know what it was. I was talking to people along the way because um, in northern New Mexico, it's right outside. And it's uh, the road that we took was, went through a lot of um, um indigenous people's land, right? It was a lot of um, reservations, Indian reservations. And it would say on the road, Indian reservation starting now, and this is what tribe is here. And on the side of the roads were a lot of places that you could stop and buy different goods that they make, right? Like these earrings I'm wearing. If you're watching me on YouTube, you can see my little earrings that I got on the side of the road that I was supporting people. And I thought they were kind of cool, aren't they? Um, but I was talking to the people that were working, the, especially women. And there were some, some men that I actually spoke to too, that were on the, these in, in their stands along the road. And they were like, in a, it was just like a wooden, just like a wooden frame. And they'd sit there with their table in front of them. And um, at least they had shelter from the sun and heat. But um, they were talking about alcoholism and how one woman was telling me about how she had a friend that was drinking so much. And they actually took her to, you know, one of the bigger cities near them. Um, and she went there and she never got the help she needed. And she ended up dying. And um, and it's really, the system is just so backwards today. I feel like it's just, um, people need help. And I know when we were growing, like when I was young, very young, I think they still had mental hospitals. and. Um, I know that doesn't sound politically correct, but it was a place that people that um, um, people that needed this like help to go regroup, let's say, could go to. And um, 
I, I think it was probably free to go back then. I don't know what the costs were or anything. And I, and I have not researched this. So please don't take me verbatim. But I would imagine that if we had a place for people to go to and decompress for 90 days and get um, a real sense of what's going on inside their heads. Because I think that when we go and we put people on medication, especially in the very beginning, you know, it's very hard to get someone's um read on what that's going on with them mentally. And I'm not a doctor and I'm not, I am not a doctor. I am not a psychotherapist. I'm not a therapist. I am a coach, but I am not. So this is my opinion and my opinion only, Um, you know, we need to get a baseline of where we are to get the right medication, to see what will help us to get to a place where we're level and where we aren't going to harm ourselves or harm others. And I think that drinking harms ourselves in a lot of ways. I think drinking is, uh, drinking really gets to the, um, it changes our psyche and drugs change our psyche even more. And we don't even know what the long-term effects are. I think a lot of these antidepressants and stuff that's out there, but it doesn't matter because it really gets us over humps when we're feeling bad. And if we don't go get help, how are we going to change? right? How are we going to change? And it's uncomfortable to change, especially when we decide that we're not going to drink anymore. And we need to talk to the doctor. We need to go in and talk to a doctor and say, this is where we are and be honest with them. I know that's hard. We think I'm not going to tell anybody this secret. I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want to tell anybody. I'm scared. I'm ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. If you are having a problem with alcohol or drugs, you need to talk to your doctor about it so that they can help you and they can wean you off of these drugs or alcohol that you're on. And then maybe get to this place where you're like, at least at back to even, and they can figure out what's going on with you. So you, they can treat you properly. And, um, I don't think we get to that place where we trust somebody. I don't even think we trust people enough to say, Hey, look, this person's totally going nuts over here and we need to get them help. I'll tell you, I, um, it's so crazy in the world right now. Um, I was in the Atlanta airport. I don't think I talked about this. I, I, I must not have because I was on, I would have been traveling so much. So we were in the Atlanta airport. My um, Henry had just graduated. Henry was, you know, graduated from, we went to his college graduation in North Carolina. And from where I live, you cannot fly anywhere direct. I have to go and take a puddle. I mean, unless I fly to South Florida, I can fly to South Florida. <laughs> with no problem, but everywhere else I've got to make a connection. And so I was connecting through Atlanta and we're going through Atlanta airport. And oh my gosh, there was a young, a young man there and he was traveling with his father and um, he had been doing cartwheels to the airport earlier, I assume. And it got to the place where he was obviously having a psychotic break or he was on some sort of medication that was not or drugs that definitely was not working for him. And the police had to come and they had to, and his dad was standing there and they had to construct, you know, they had to put him on a, a stretcher. And the gentleman was so adamant about getting off this. And the father's like, please, it's going to help. It was horrible. I mean, it was just, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. And I'm 53. I've, and I've traveled enough in the airports that I would, I, I've never seen anything so scary. And this gentleman needed help and they got him out and they, oh, hopefully the gentleman's getting better right now. But, you know, it's, I, it's so apparent that our country and people are needing help. And what do we do? what do we do? We're too scared to get help. We can't afford to get help. There's no help to be had. Um, 
What do we do? I think we need to come together and love each other. I think we need to show people compassion and love. I think we need to have resources that are available for people. And I don't mean just resources where it's going to cost you a lot of money. And if you don't have enough insurance, they're only going to take you in the rehab for 14 days or seven days. I've seen that happen with people. They don't have enough insurance. They've been to too many treatment centers. They can't get help anymore. There's so many scenarios for people that, um, that need help and they can't get it. It's not available. We need to change that. I understand the 12 steps are a totally amazing for alcoholics. I think for drug addicts, I think it's harder. Um, I don't think one thing fits all. I think we're humans. I think different things help for different people. But the baseline is love. The baseline is love, compassion, no judgment. It's working towards working towards bettering yourself. It's working towards getting to yourself and being with yourself and realizing what's important. And it doesn't matter what the neighbors say about you. It doesn't matter what people think that judge you. It matters how you feel inside of yourself. This is an inside job. I will never forget when my, you know, my, my second person that took me through you know, who took me on and said, I will help you. She was my fellow traveler. She was my sponsor. She was my everything. And she said, um, you know, I had always worked on the outside. It was always about being skinny enough, um, looking pretty enough, having the right outfit on, having the right shoes on, having the right material stuff, all the material stuff. And you watch on social, you know, wonder the Kardashians are so popular because they just look pretty and everything. So I want to be like them. And I'm going to put these filters on, change my hair and da, 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 and then I'll be happy. But you're not happy still because until you know who you are, you can't be happy. Until you get, you got to time to know who you are. I didn't know who I was at 37, even though I had three kids, an ex-husband, a dog, a house, a car, all this stuff. But I had no idea who I was because I was wanting to be what you wanted me to be rather than be what I wanted to be. But I had no idea what I wanted to be. 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 What did I want to be? Where did I want to live? Who did I want to be? And it takes time and it takes patience and it takes willingness and it takes effort and you will fall back sometimes and go back to the old ways, but then you get back up and you go back to doing the right, the way that you know is right for you. And for me, it was getting sober and, you know, it was putting down that drink because the drink was just another, it was dark drinking to me. I, you know, and I said this to these women on the street and I said, actually to a lot of people on my trip, I, um, I said, you know, booze and drugs are darkness. It's the devil. Um, more drugs are coming in over the border of fentanyl that are killing more of our youth than ever before. Um, it's dark. It's not light. It's dark, right? Booze is dark. Um, they called, um, you know, it's a spirit and it made it's darkness, you know, it's like kind of taboo, but in, at the same way, it's no elixir and it makes us feel better, but it's fleeting. It's not forever. It's just for moments. It's, um, it's, it's, um, it's scary to me at the end of the day, I'm so scared of alcohol now it's, it's crazy, but, um, it took me getting to the place where that first year of, you know, my sobriety, I still think back to it. And it was like, really shit. I had no idea who I was. It was like taking life. It was learning to live one day at a time, which is still hard at times, but 
I had to take, I had to do it. I had to take that time to learn who I was. And I feel sad and I feel like I wish things were different. And I would sit there and go, I, God, if I could have done that differently and I could have, and I would have done something differently if it were different, but it isn't. And it isn't different. Yesterday's not gone, but we can't, you know, yesterday is gone. Yesterday is gone. It's like, all you can do is learn from it. It's the insanity is keeping the drive to do the other things over and over again. If you've decided, you know, you've got a problem with alcohol, you've talked to your doctor, you can do this, whatever way they suggest that you do it. You know, you take the time, um, you find something that's bigger than you. I, you know, that's what I think is so brilliant about AA. They don't say that it has to be God. It can be good orderly direction. It can be group of drunks. It can be, um, you know, the Dalai Lama. It can be Buddha. It can be the flowers. It can be, which I love. And I always point this out with my friend, Shelly. Um, she said to me, you know, I, I, I should never gone to church. So she's like, it's the sun, it's the sunrise and the sunset. And cause I can rely on that. That's going to happen no matter what. Um, it can be behind a mask of clouds, but it will be, be there. And, um, that for her gave her the sense of God. And I love that. So whatever it is for you, something that's bigger than you. And a lot of times it can't be a human. Um, having something that's human, that's bigger than you besides Jesus, of course, and walking on the planet. He's not no longer here though, but, um, that for me is God, but I understand he's in heaven. That's what I believe. And you might say, well, I don't believe in heaven. I don't believe in all that stuff. Well, whatever it is for you. Um, I believe in something and it's like butterflies and Tinkerbell. I know I sound crazy, but, um, believing in those little things that are happy, you know, get me through a day. I'm not hurting anyone. It's not hurting me to believe in things that are pretty and things that are happy. Like that woman saying that by 2025, life's going to be amazing. Um, that's something to look forward to. It's like, a, it's like a going on vacation. You get so excited when you know you plan a vacation and where you're going to go. And it's something to look forward to. So looking forward to something is important. It's important to take the time to look forward for things and not always look back because when we look back, things are kind of like, you know, we kind of wish and could and should, and we can't. So why make, why go there? Why even do that to ourselves? You know, I, um, I always gave myself little presents when I made a milestone. And if it was 30 days of recovery, it was like something big for me. And I did it. I would do something. And again, don't put yourself in half. Don't go broke. Um, but treating yourself to something. If it's an ice cream cone once a week, uh, once a month. Um, for me, it was every day. Um, I had ice cream every day. I just, I didn't drink, so I had ice cream. I mean, I lost weight eventually, but it was, you know, I didn't care. Again, it was, I, I had to worry about my inside. Not the outsides. The outsides were not going to make me, um, the outside stuff never made me feel okay. It's like when you go shopping and you're like, oh my God, I get this high from buying something. At least I did for a long time and I get the high from buying it. And then um, uh, that was the high. I, I, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I love that I bought this. And then you bring it home and you put it on, you're like, what well, doesn't change me at all? I still feel the same way inside. It's like when you go on a diet and you lose weight and you're like, oh, I got to this ideal weight. And now I still feel like the same person on the inside because it's the psyche. It's the whole in the soul. It's filling that soul with self-love, with self-compassion. 
it's filling that place of that hole with yourself and knowing that God loves you no matter what. And you can say, well, I don't believe in God. Well, the sun loves you. Let's just say the sun loves you. Um, the sun comes up, it gives you sunshine, it gives you power, it's D, it just makes you feel better. And um, I'm really focusing on that prayer and um, meditation. And I'm going to get into yoga. I'm going to take a yoga, yoga certification course starting in August. And that's crazy. I want to do it, but it's what I want to do. It's something I've been on my like little list of things that I'd like to do. I want to get better with moving my body. And um, I think the spiritual part of that will help me too. Um, that's one of my goals for right now is that I want to do that. And, um, I want to, I want to end today with, um, or this week, I'm going to botch this up because, but it was on a meditation I heard this morning on insight timer. And it said, so as it says, I pushed and shoved my way through for the day. I was doing too much. I was, um, I was wary. I was blaming something. I was looking for something. I was looking for something um, without staying focused. There were flaws and gifts. You know, um, I, I can read this. And I actually listened to this and I tried to record it on my phone and have it write it down, but it didn't, it botched it even more now that I'm really looking at it. I'm like, this is not what you said. But um, what this uh, meditation really was talking about was um, we're all wondering what we're supposed to be, who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to do. Unless you're blessed like my son, who totally knows what he wants to do and is doing it and is very happy. And I do believe there's a sprinkling of people that are born, get into what they're supposed to be doing from the start and are happy from day one doing what they were meant to do. I don't think that's all of us. I think a lot of us, we start doing one thing that, that falters, we start to do another thing. I know for me, I, you know, I spent 25, you know, almost 26 years being a mom and doing that on steroids. I swear to God, I was like, I was mom, 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 mom. And it gave me purpose and it gave me life. And now here I am at 53 and they don't really need me anymore. I mean, they need me somewhat, but not like they used to. And I need to re-identify and re, I, where am I going to be? Who am I going to be? What am I going to do? What's going to be my thing? And um, figuring that out, I know I'm not alone, you know, when I feel the way I feel. And I feel, I don't want to feel less than, I don't want to feel bigger. I don't want to feel better than somebody else. I don't feel less than somebody else. I want to feel like in the middle, in the colors. I want to, um, I want to strive to do something different. And so that's why I'm going to go do this yoga thing. I'm going to take the time. I'm going to take, however long it takes for me to get certified in this. And it's going to be work and I have to learn a new language, I'm sure with this. And I'm going to have to learn different poses and getting to this place that's going to be uncomfortable at times, but I'm going to do it. And um, I'm going to do it for me. And a lot of times we don't do stuff for ourselves, but we need to, and we need to be, we need to be selfish at times. We need to do what's good for us. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says. If it's, this is your first thing you're doing for yourself. It's like, I really want to get sober and I really want to do this for me. And, um, I am going to, my spouse might drink and I'm still going to do this for me. And if the spouse and I don't work out, well, whatever, it, you know, we got to do some stuff for us because God put us here for a finite time. You know, we're only here for a little while, you know, we have no idea when our, 
you know, when our last, last, uh, last breath is going to happen. But, you know, I can say this for myself, you know, the first part of my life till I was 37, I drank and act like a lunatic. It was really, really fun. 37 to about 53, where I am today. I, you know, I really worked on being sober, being a really good parent, being hands on, uh, you know, being there for them 110%. And that was my mission in life was to get my kids to the finish line, which I did. And now they are on their life, on their way doing what they're going to do. And now it's time for me. And um, selfishly, I'm going to take care of me and I'm going to figure out what makes me tick. And it's not going to happen overnight. I know it's going to take work and I know it's going to be painful at times. And I know I'm going to have pity parties and I'm going to be like, why am I doing all these things? But I'm doing them. I'm telling you guys now, I'm taking this time to figure out what makes me tick. I don't know. I know being sober is just like, that's the end all be all. And, um, I will be sober and I will be doing this podcast. I don't know for how long, I don't know what it's going to look like forever. I have no idea. It might take different forms. It might do different things, but I'm going to keep doing this and keep letting you guys know that I totally get it. When you say, I feel like, you know, this is really hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Life is hard. And if anybody told you that it wasn't, they lied. And I believe that anything that's worth it will take pain and, um, it takes pain, but it takes pers- um, perseverance and we've got to, per- am I even saying that word? We have to, um, you know, we have to keep going for it. We have to keep, it doesn't matter what anybody else says, including our heads. Cause our heads try to light us. It doesn't matter. Keep going for it. Keep working hard. And, um, if you mess up, get back on the horse and keep trying along. Um, keep doing this because you are worth it. I can tell you this, you are worth it and, um, figure out what makes you tick and you might try something and you might not like it. And then you're gonna try something else. You can do that. There's no law against trying things over and over and over again. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying, keep throwing stuff against the wall. That is what I've done pretty much all my life. Throwing it against the wall. If it sticks great, if it doesn't stick great too. I got to keep walking and I got to hold my head high and I got to be, you know, really proud of myself. Uh, you know, I raised three great kids. I did that check done. Now what's next? It's still going to be going. I know I'm still going to have different things. that are going to come up with my kids. Cause it seems like when one's good, the other one's bad, the one's bad, this one's good. It's just like crazy. But, um, just knowing that we are there for one another and that, um, love is all that matters. Love. And um, taking the time to be, figure out who you are, be, be, do I can say it's just be, I don't know why I keep saying that. When I went on the podcast this morning, I'm like, God, tell me what to say. And it was be, you know, take the time to the inside timer, breathe. Maybe use this summer. It's going to be like nine. It's June 1st. Uh, Use this summer, use 90 days to figure out what makes you tick. Breathe a lot do some things differently, go to, go to work or go to whatever, go different way, you know, change your thinking and fall in love with you for the next 90 days. That's my, that is my goal for you. Fall in love with you for the next 90 days. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but you're worth it. And with that, um, I missed you guys, even though I thought about my podcast and thought about you guys, I, um, I just, um, I took some time to shut it off and it was definitely well worth it. 
but I will be back again next week. And if you can relate to anything or you have questions for me or you have topics you want me to cover, please reach out to me at busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. B-U-S-Y, livingsober.com. Um, busy, B-I-Z-Z-Y, at busylivingsober.com. I promise I will write you back. I always do. And know that you are not alone. You know, this times are tough, but you can reach out and you don't, you can turn everything off and just enjoy life and not have to watch what all the people, the puppets are saying. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what they're saying. Take care of you. Love you. Find a higher power. Find something bigger than you and know that you are not alone. You are not alone. And there are people out there that won't judge you and will love you unconditionally. I promise you, because I found them and I know you can too. So reach out to me and until next time, keep getting busy, living sober. Take care, everybody, and talk to you next week. Bye-bye.